Thanks for tuning in to this message. My name is Jared Piney. I'm the online pastor here at Pathway, and I'm here with one of our worship directors and online hosts, Maddie Seitz. We hope this message is a valuable resource to you and helps you grow deeper in your faith. If you consider yourself a Christian and this message blesses you, I hope you'd consider giving back to us at Pathway so we can continue connecting all people to Jesus and helping them become his fully devoted followers. Learn more at pathwaychurch.com forward slash giving. And if you decide to take a step in your faith after the message today, simply visit pathwaychurch.com forward slash next so we can help provide you with resources and partner with you in this journey. Anybody feel like dancing a little bit after that song, Blake? <laughs> I want to welcome you, Pathway Church, to the second week of our series, The Heart of the Matter, where uh, we are talking about what is the heart of generosity that God desires for us to have. And I want to start you off with this thought this morning. Are you this person this fam- in your family? Maybe you know someone like this. Uh, sometimes someone that just misses something that seems to be right in front of them. Someone that sometimes just kind of misses the obvious. I think we all have people like this in our family. Uh, I know when I was a kid, I could be this person, right? So uh, my mom and dad, you know, they would ask me to go find something, right? It might be something in the garage or it might be something down in the storage room. And my parents would want me to go find that thing that they needed. And I would then go to where that object was supposed to be. And I would scan and scan and scan. And I couldn't find that thing that they were looking for. And it's like, Inevitably, every time, my parents would then have to come and and find the object that they wanted me to find, right? And every time, it'd be like, it was right in front of you, right? (laughs) Like, anybody else have that problem? You like, sometimes, I mean, my wife says I have this problem when I need to go find something from the fridge. I'm like scanning. I can't find what I'm looking for. And sometimes it's easy to miss what's right in front of you. And I know this now as, as a parent, I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and if you've had young ones or you have young ones, you know like what a pain it is getting them to go anywhere. And uh, it'll be like, you know, go get your shoes, go find your socks, go find your coat, go find your backpack. And they run off to go do that, and two seconds later, what do they tell me? Can't find it, right? Dad, I can't find it. And you know what I tell them? You haven't even looked, right? And I inevitably, every time, go to the room, I'm like, here. It was right in front of your face, right? But sometimes it's easy to miss the things that are right in front of us. You know, in 2011, I uh, proposed to my wife, Amy, and uh, I'd kind of gotten the idea that she was catching on about the time that I, I wanted to propose, and uh, I wanted it to be a surprise. I wanted it to be, a speci- I wanted it to be special. So, um, you know, I came up with this elaborate plan, and, and it's great. If you got time sometime, ask me about it. It's got layers of deception to it. It's really, really good. But basically what I did 
is I contacted one of these helicopter flying groups here in town in Wichita, and you know, they do these um, kind of holiday Christmas light tours around Christmas time. And we, we arranged where we would fly by this park, and my friends would ride out into a field, will you marry me in Christmas lights? So then when we would fly over, I'd be able to propose. And so the day comes, and, and we're flying over this field, and, and they're real low, so we make sure that we can see the lights. And I point out the window, I tap Amy's shoulder, I'm like, hey, hey, look over there, look at that. And she looks over, and she sees the lights, and she goes, aw, someone's proposing, right? I'm like, Amy, like, will you marry me, right? And of course, she said, she said yes. But, you know, sometimes it's easy to miss the things that are right in front of you. You know, for us today, as we're talking about generosity, I don't want to miss what God has in front of us, a truth about generosity that God wants us to see. And so we're going to be looking today at a story in John chapter 6. I encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, to go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you have the Pathway Church app, you can turn in the message notes. And we're looking at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And in this story, one of Jesus' disciples, Philip, he kind of misses something that's right in front of him. You know, something interesting about the feeding of the 5,000, this is one of the few miracles that we see in the Bible that is actually recorded in all four Gospels. See, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have something to say about the feeding of the 5,000, albeit maybe with a little bit different perspective or, or different details here and there. And what that tells us is that was a story that was very important for the early church and, and understanding who Jesus is and what he means to their lives. So it's an important story for us today as we start exploring generosity and what Jesus means to us and what he has for us today as well. And I tell you, the, the title, The Feeding of the 5,000, is actually a little bit misleading, right? Because uh, there were much more than, than 5,000 people there. They had this weird way of counting things back then where they only counted the grown men, right? They didn't count women, didn't count children, and even in other versions of the gospel, it'll say 5,000 men and their families. And so it starts to give us more of an idea of what the size of this crowd was. And so uh, biblical scholars have said we could guess that this crowd could have been probably around the size of about 20,000 people. Now, I don't know when the last time you were in a crowd of 20,000 people was, like it might have been before 2020, right? But uh, I want to get us a, an idea of what this is like, because this, this thing that Jesus and the disciples are a part of, it's an absolute event, right? It's a party. So uh, my wife and I, we enjoy watching soccer. Uh, our, our team is Sporting Kansas City uh, up there in Kansas City, Kansas. They've got a stadium if you've ever been in the Legends Outlet Mall up there. If you've been Kansas Speedway, you've seen it. And the stadium has a capacity of officially about 18,500 seats. But we've been there before uh, at certain games like the U.S. Open Cup final in, in 2012 where, I mean, they, they packed this place out. It was standing room only tickets and there was 20,000 people, probably 20. There's 20,000 people, probably 21,000 people in attendance. And if you've ever been a part of a crowd like that, I mean, it's, it's absolutely electric. You've got 20,000 some people, all their hearts, their minds, their voices all focused on these 22 people on the field playing soccer, right? And you just think of like the roar of the crowd and the excitement every time like a goal is scored or something exciting happens. And so I wonder what this crowd is like with Jesus, because the Gospels tell us that Jesus has been with the disciples and this crowd of people, and he's been teaching, he's been performing miracles all day long. 
You know, a couple weeks ago, we, we did baptisms, right? And that's an awesome celebration that we get to do here at Pathway. This is some of my favorite weekends, and, and we cheer and we celebrate. But I wonder, you know, like, what was the cheer of the crowd? What was the roar of the crowd every time Jesus got a chance to, to heal someone? That someone that had never walked in their life before got the chance to walk for the first time. It was this absolutely amazing event. And it goes on all day long until the sun kind of starts to, to hang in the sky and it's getting to about evening time. And then this is where we pick up here, John chapter 6, verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. You know, something that amazes me is that Jesus, being with these people all day, he looks at this crowd and he looks at his disciples and he's like, you know what I think we should do, guys? Like, I think we should feed all these people, right? Can you imagine being one of the disciples? You're like, you want to do what, Jesus? Right? Like, and, and even in some of the Gospels, I mean, the, the disciples literally tell Jesus, they're like, no, like, send these people home. They, they've been partying all day. Party's over. Like, send them home. Like, there's no way that we can feed all of these people. But I just love this because we just get a peek at the heart of Jesus and, and who Jesus is, right? He just wants to be there for these people. He just has a heart for the people in front of him. And it's not like Jesus isn't tired, Right? All day, people have been trying to get close to him. People have been trying to talk to him. People have been trying to touch him, right? As an introvert myself, like, sounds like a nightmare, right? I could only hang a couple hours. But Jesus has been with these people all day long. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is Jesus' heart. Jesus is a provider. You know, when we look at Mark's account and his gospel of the feeding of the 5,000, it says that Jesus just looks at this crowd And it says he has compassion on them. That he sees them as as sheep, as lost without a shepherd. And Jesus' heart, he says, man, I want to be this shepherd for them. I want to be this provider that they need. And you know, we said sometimes it's easy to miss something that's right in front of you. And there's a detail that John shares here that, that I don't want us to miss today, right? It's in parentheses in your Bible, and he says this happens around the time of the Jewish Passover, I want you to know John doesn't share that detail because John wants us to know what time of year it is, but it's, it's important to the story. John wants us to think about the Passover, this awesome event in the Israelites' history where God lifted them out of Egypt and out of slavery through powerful miracles, and that God was their provider when they were in the desert for 40 years searching for the promised land that he said he was going to give to them, Right? If you know the story, it's, it's manna from heaven. Literally every morning, bread would miraculously form on the ground, and the Israelites were only able to go out and pick up enough bread that they needed for that day. And then the next day, they would go out, and again, bread would have miraculously formed, and again, they can only go out and pick up what they need for that day. And so day after day after day, God's people would learn to lean on God and trust him and see that he is this provider that they need for Everything, physically, spiritually, God was there for them. And as we're talking about generosity today, I want you to know that this is Jesus' heart and who he wants to be. He wants to be this provider for you, this person that can bring sustenance and satisfaction and meaning and purpose to your life. Jesus wants to be 
this provider. But it's interesting that it says Jesus wants to test Philip, right? And so for us, I want to ask that question, what is that about? What is Jesus testing Philip on? You can look with me at verse 7. He says this, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? So Jesus presents this problem to, to Philip and Andrew, right? And so they, they look at Jesus, they look at the problem, and they're like, can't be done, right? Like, Jesus, I'm not a mathematician. Maybe you should have put Matthew on this, right? But we got five loaves, two fish. It's not going to cut it for the amount of people that we have, Right? And that answer doesn't surprise me. And you think about the disciples and the kind of guys these disciples are. A lot of these guys, I mean, they come from poor backgrounds. They're hardworking, blue-collar type guys, a lot of them fishermen, farmers. And even the crowd that Jesus and the disciples are dealing with, I mean, it's made up of a lot of the same type of people. And we know this because it says that the boy had barley bread. You may not know this, but barley bread, I mean, it's a sign of poverty back in Jesus' day, right? If you've ever gone to the grocery store and you just buy the cheapest wheat bread that you can find off the shelf, like, this is barley bread. It's not great. I lived off of it in college. I lost like 10 pounds in a semester, right? But, you know, when it comes to this, Philip and Andrew, I mean, they think about the problem the way that they've thought about things really their entire lives. These guys have always had to be smart, and resourceful. They've always had to pinch pennies, right? They've always had to think in in dollars and cents. They've had to think in supply and demand. They've had to think in in work hours and and manpower. And and Philip even says it. He says, Jesus, we could work for months. It wouldn't even matter. We wouldn't have the money to buy the bread for these people. But you know, that response to me is a little bit surprising when we've already established, like, Jesus has been next to these disciples performing miracles all day long right? In my mind, I think, you know, if Philip saw Jesus heal a paralyzed man, surely Jesus could take care of dinner, right? He could find something, some way he could work that out. But, you know, Philip's response, it shows us something. And what it shows us is that Philip does not yet have a full understanding of the kind of power that Jesus has, right? Sometimes it's easy to miss something that's right in front of you. And I want you to know this. It's not because Philip didn't trust Jesus, right? Philip trusts Jesus. I mean, I mean, he uprooted and left his entire life so he could follow Jesus. You can go back to John chapter 1, and Philip says that Jesus is this prophet that Moses said was going to come for us, that Jesus is the Son of God that we've been waiting for. And so, I mean, Philip gets who Jesus is. But I want you to think about this. Philip is a lot like you and me. Like, every day he's waking up, he's choosing to follow Jesus He's listening to his words. He's seeing what he does in his life. And each day he's understanding more and more who Jesus is. And I want you to know, this is why Jesus is testing Philip, right? It's not because Jesus wants to rank Philip and see, like, where is he, 1 through 12, and the disciples. It's not about seeing if, if Philip is worthy in some way of being a disciple. But what Jesus is doing is he's inviting Philip to come in and be a part of the miraculous work that he is doing and that when Philip gets to be a part of that, Philip experiences God's power and his provision in a life in a way that he's never experienced it before. And I want to make the connection for us, especially today when we're talking about generosity, right? Because I get this, like, I know money is not everyone's favorite thing to talk about at church, right? 
And the timing of this series is great when we're talking about inflation and everybody's seeing gas prices, right? And, and we're all in this place where we're just trying to figure out, you know, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of the people that God has placed in our lives? And I want you to know that that is all very, very real. But what's also real is that God wants you and me through generosity to experience his power in a new way in our lives. And this is why generosity matters and, and why generosity is it's important. It's not that God like needs our money. It's not that God needs anything from us. It's not that God needs us to prove our love or devotion into him somehow through giving. But what God wants to do is he wants to invite us to be a part of the miraculous work that he's doing here in Wichita around the world. And that when you and I are generous and we really lean on God to be that provider that he wants to be for us, then we start to experience God's power in our lives in a way that we've never experienced it before. I tell you from my wife Amy and I, like this is a lesson that we had to learn personally. Uh, the year 2017, like we absolutely blew up our entire lives. I was uh, pastoring a church up in Clay Center, Kansas. Uh, my wife was teaching at the middle school. My son Grayson, he was only a year old. And we had felt God's calling very, very clearly we felt to, to come back home here to Wichita where we are both from. And it was hard at first because I think at first we're like, is that something that we just want because it's familiar and it's family or is that something that's right? And we prayed about that and felt like God had told us strongly to, to come back to Wichita. And so um, we knew that we had to trust and, and we had to trust him hard. We left in June of 2017. Um, we didn't have any jobs lined up. Uh, my wife was going back to school for a different profession and we had found out a month before we left that we were then pregnant with our second child, our daughter, Olivia, right? And so that June 2017, we moved into my in-law's basement, who must have wondered, like, what have you done with my daughter? Are you a crazy person, <laughs> right? And I'd be honest with you, and like, choosing to follow God in that, it was hard. I mean, it was like the next eight months of our life were just, it was brutal, we started chewing through our savings. We were trying to cut costs everywhere we could possibly cut a cost. And I just remember going to interview after interview where I was told, sorry, you're not the right fit. You're not the person that we're looking for. Now's just not the right time. I'm sorry, we're gonna go in a different direction. And I felt like this loser. My pregnant wife was the one that was keeping our family afloat with this $10 an hour job she could work between classes. And you know, all of that ended up working out for us. Um, I started here in February of 2018 at Pathway Church, and God provided through all that. But when I look back at, at that moment, it was a moment where for maybe the first time in my life, I really had to lean on God day after day after day that he, he was going to keep his promises and that he was who he said he was. And every time that I felt the sting of rejection, it was like, okay, God, that's, that's not part of your plan but I know you're here to provide for me. I, I know that's not what you have for me, but, but you still want something for me. And it's amazing, you know, for us, the Hallbergs, like 2017 is this landmark year in our lives. My son Grayson is six years old now, and, he, and sometimes he'll still say, you remember that time that we used to live at Nana and Papa's? And we're like, yeah, you know. And I wonder how much of that, you know, does he really remember? How much does he put together from stories that mom and dad tell? But for us, it's this powerful moment in our lives where we really saw God's power and God's provision and God for who he really is and who he wants to be in our lives. And so, you know, in those moments when we, when we fear and we doubt and we're scared and the future is uncertain, 
we know that God has provided before, God will provide again. And I want you to know that God wants you to know that same truth. And now I'm not telling you to go like uproot your family to a different town without a job. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. But God absolutely wants to show you that he is a provider and that he has power in your life. I want to wrap this story up. And and there's one more thing that I want you to see here that God wants to share with us today. Verse 10, it says, Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely, this is the prophet that we have been expecting. You know, this is, uh, it's an amazing miracle. And it's funny to me, I think it says something about the power of the stomach and hunger, doesn't it? That like, again, Jesus has been performing miracles in front of these people all day, but it's not until he feeds them that they're like, this is the Messiah, right? Sometimes it's, it's easy to miss something that's right in front of you. But you know, we've been talking about how God wants to be this provider for us today, how, how God wants to, to show his power to us in a way that we haven't seen it before. And this is the th- last thing I want you to realize, man. God wants you to be amazed by him. Man, God just wants you to be amazed by him. Andrew's like five loaves and two fish, can't be done. There's nothing that we can do with that. But Jesus takes this boy's small offering and through that he, f- he feeds this entire crowd And in doing so, he shows them that, man, I am your provider. I am the shepherd that you need. I am the bread of life. I am the Passover lamb that God is good and God is faithful on his promises. And this is the truth. You know, we talked about it being right in front of us, generosity. The thing I don't want you to miss today, man, God wants to increase your faith in him through generosity. God wants to grow your faith. He wants to create these moments in your life where you look back and you say, I was able to get through that season of sickness or I was able to get through that season of need or I was able to get through that season of doubt because God was with me and God provided in a way that only God can. He wants you to have that moment where you say, only God could have done that. Like I said for, for us already, for the Hallbergs, it's the year 2017, like summer 2017 to summer 2018. Our family will never forget the way that God had shown up for us in such a powerful way. And I want you to know, this is why we're doing this 90-day heart challenge here at the end of this series. Pastor Hutchison started talking to us about it last week, but uh, the last week of our series, we're going to have some cards like this that are just going to be on, on the seats for you guys. And the heart challenge is basically this. We want to challenge everyone here at Pathway Church for 90 days to either start being generous or increase in their generosity to, to God here at Pathway Church. And again, this is, this is about the heart. This is not about us increasing our budgets or, or some campaign here for anything at the church but this is about you and me and really putting our, our trust and our hearts in God to be that provider that he wants to be for us. 
and experiencing the life change and the power of God that only comes when we truly rely on him. And so what I want to do right now, I want to create space where we can pray for that. That's my homework for you this week, you know. If anything, go home and and pray about what is it God wants to do in my heart through generosity? What is it that God wants to show me? What is right for me and my family? That's that's what I desire for you to do this week. But right now, we're going to bow our heads and, and close our eyes and just go to God in a moment of prayer. And as we've been talking to God today, about his word. You know, if God has been working in your heart and, and you're, you're saying, God, I, I know I want to be more generous. God, I know I want to see your provision and your power in a new way in my life that I haven't experienced it. If you're feeling that way and you know God is calling you to that this morning, I just want you to raise your hand and say, God, I'm, I'm ready to be a more generous person. I know it's what you want for me, what you desire for me, and God, that you want me to see you in a way that I haven't to trust you in a way that I haven't before. That's awesome, me too. Me too, let me pray for that this morning. God, we just thank you that you are such an incredibly generous God. And that you love us so much that you want to be the provider, you want to be the daily bread that we need. And God, we really need you. So I just pray this morning that, Lord, you would help our hearts. God, when we, when we sometimes pull back, when we want to just protect ourselves, when we want to play it safe, and God, just help us lean and trust that you, you are this provider that you say you are. God, that you have so much to show us when we trust in you. God, I pray that we would experience your provision and your power in a new way this week. We're going to keep praying keep our eyes closed and, and our heads bowed. And, and for some of us in the room, you know, we, we've never experienced that provision or that power before that, that God has for us. And you've been going through life and, and maybe you've felt dissatisfied, that you're unable to keep up, that you're unable to keep a hold of joy or happiness or keep yourself fulfilled for very long. And Jesus says today, man, I want to be that for you. I want to be that bread of life that you can lean on day after day, that you can go back to the well and trust in me, and that I'll show you a life that you could have never had before. So if you want to make that decision today to follow Jesus for the very first time, then I just want you to pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your heart. Jesus, I recognize that I need you. I've tried to do it on my own. I, I've tried to fill my life, and, and God, I just keep coming up empty. Jesus, I've got an emptiness that I know only you can take care of. And so this morning, I choose to trust and believe that you are the bread of life that you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose from the grave so that I could have the life, the love, and the power of God that he wants to give. I choose to trust in that and follow you. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you accepted Jesus as, as your savior for the first time to be the bread of life that you need, and now I just, man, just ask you to raise your hand, to say to God that that's my, my sign of commitment, that, that I'm here for what you have for me, 
God, I'm ready to experience the life that you give. Awesome. Awesome. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you. I thank you for my new brothers and sisters, part of your family now, God, experiencing the provision that only you can give. God, I just pray over the next few days and weeks that you would put people around them, that they would experience the power of God's family and your love in a way that they never knew was possible. God, thank you for Jesus, his gift of salvation. Lord, that he was willing to go to the cross for us. God, thank you that he's the bread of life. We pray this all in his name. Amen.